Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Mist History Podcast. I am really looking forward to sharing this episode with everyone. I really enjoyed it myself. It was with Alamin Mohammed. He is a photographer and videographer from the north of Nigeria, particularly of the Hausa community. Um, much of his photography focuses on regional histories, cultures, and peoples. And we actually came across each other's profiles on Instagram, Mist History, and his own photography page. And decided, hey, why not? We'll talk for the podcast. I'm hoping that everyone enjoys. And the purpose behind this is not just to have a professor on that will give a more academic background to history, but also just regular people who interact with tradition and culture in their everyday lives, like a photographer, for example. So I hope that you guys really enjoy. Unfortunately, this episode was cut a little bit short due to technical issues, but we look forward to having a part two relatively soon. And uh, yeah, please check out Alamine's photography afterwards if you enjoy our conversation. And it started. All right, so very nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you too, uh, It's been a while since, I'm not sure exactly how we first found out about each other, but uh, I've been a huge fan of your photography on Instagram for a while now. Oh, awesome, awesome. I guess I've been been following your page earlier. Yeah, thank you very much. I wasn't sure which came first. I'm I'm happy to have found your page. I'm surprised it's smaller, considering all of your photography looks like something out of National Geographic magazine oh, oh. <laughs> thanks for the compliment <laughs> no it really does <laughs> and uh yeah it's just it's exciting to be able to talk and I, i'm not sure if you listened to either of the first two podcasts that i've done but basically the idea behind it is that yes. human history is often taught through a national or religious or some other type of lens And I think that if history is taught through a more global perspective or from as many perspectives as possible, then people will have a better connection with each other, understanding of the world around them and so on. Yes, I agree with that. So with the first two podcasts, I had two professors on and we stuck to more like academic, I guess, topics. The questions were more academic leaning, but... For hours, I figured it would be better to just start to talk to people that have different connections to history, different connections to the culture around them, and who better than you, who uh, is completely <laughs> surrounded by the culture of mostly northern Nigeria, correct? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, without further ado, could you kind of give listeners a bit of a background on who you are, where you come from? Uh, what life was like growing up and kind of how you became a photographer today? Uh, okay, uh, that's a loaded question, but I'll try <laughs> and maybe answer all of it. So my name is Muhammad Alamin. I grew up in a small city of Jos. Jos is in the north central part of Nigeria. It's relatively uh, peaceful, quiet, uh, not a lot of people actually. And it's it's one of the coldest parts of Nigeria. So we're used to having uh, foreigners come, tourists, and uh, we get the idea of people moving around with cameras, taking pictures. But when we were kids, we didn't really understand the significance because we just saw cameras or something. We took pictures maybe during festivals and all. Anyways, uh, I grew up with that idea. 
before uh, growing up and going to school outside of Nigeria. I went to, I did my college degree in Malaysia, in Southeast Asia. So with that exposure, I actually got a high interest to learn photography. And as a hobby, it grew slowly, slowly. I did a whole lot of uh, landscape photography. I am still highly attached to that. I really love landscapes that do tell a story. So after my college degree, I came back and uh, I would say I, I got connected to my culture and I saw it differently to what I used to see before. It, just, it was just something that was probably normal. Like you just see it without understanding what role it plays in life. And uh, it was underappreciated if I would say that. But now I see it differently. I want to capture it in a way that my eye sees it. Because most of the pictures I see, like when I was growing up, was pictures maybe taken and uh, published in magazines or newspapers. But now I actually want to tell it from my own view, which uh, I believe is different from what I grew up with. So I think that's it. It's, it was funny because at first I noticed you have your regular Instagram account with pictures of just basically anything that you could imagine. And then exactly. you know, on your more professional account, there's a lot of wedding photography and such because you got to make a living. Yes, yes. <laughs> so what so- <laughs> you said you, you want to, you went from kind of showing the pictures and seeing the pictures that had already kind of like a commercial aspect behind them or something like that. And now you want to try to show it more from your perspective what exactly what kinds of things are you interested in showing all right uh to to my more uh, engaging account uh, usually it's the commercial side of photography uh, here in nigeria uh, we don't make a lot of money shooting documentaries or stories the commercial side is usually weddings and portraits so uh, for you to make a living out of photography you are most likely to be found doing one of those Fashion photography is the other one that uh, people are doing, but generally almost everyone is doing wedding photography. However, when you do documentary, you have to dedicate yourself, your time, uh, even even your money to, to do it. Uh, due to the nature of probably safety in Nigeria, it's not so a lot of times you can put yourself at risk traveling to places that are not not very safe. So, uh, but when you have that passion, that burning desire to show something that probably not everyone knows, you would uh, endure all of these and uh, come out on top. At one point, you, um, for the uh, UNESCO World Heritage Sites, you got to go on a tour of one of the oh, yes. ancient kingdoms. Could you kind of explain how that came about? And like, I don't know much about the kingdom itself either, if you could explain. Okay, uh, to highlight uh, where we went, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ancient city of about 600 years old. Uh, it's located in Ademawa state of Nigeria. It's not east of Nigeria, on the border with uh, Cameroon. So uh, I heard about the Sukor kingdom from a couple of people, but... I never got the interest to even think about visiting it until uh, UNESCO volunteer campaign came up and I was like, maybe let me apply if I'm lucky, I, I get picked. And uh, l- lucky enough, I was one of those that were chosen. We were 30. 
and uh, transportation and uh, and security and accommodation was provided by by UNESCO and the state government of Adamawa State. That helped us with uh, getting there and uh, like seeing this really beautiful landscape. It's about a thousand two hundred meters above sea level, and uh, there's the only way you can go there is by walking up or using a a motorbike. The motorbike uses a different path. So we decided to take the walk. It's about an hour, 20 minutes for those that are not seasoned. But the village people, we realized we're doing that in 15, 20 minutes to get to the top. That's and, what. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's really unique. It's a really beautiful place. I, I've, I've seen a lot of nice landscapes, uh, probably in Singapore, Thailand, Malaysia. But I've not seen something quite unique and historical like, like Sukhoi Kingdom. Do you notice a big difference between shooting, uh, like set up people versus people just naturally going about their day? Is there a big difference for I, you? Yeah, there is. There is. Uh, when you allow people to be in the element and uh, without obstructing or trying to change the narrative, you you really get real stories that connect with people. But when you try to interact, okay, do they stay here, stay there? It's uh, more like a post picture. It doesn't tell the whole general idea of a place. But when you allow people to do their daily stuffs, you get to capture uh, a more unique and uh, interesting part of the story, I guess. What has been the most interesting part of Nigeria for you to photograph so far? Because I noticed that you've gone to like the more desert areas a lot, which for, for me are probably the most unique but uh, for you, I don't know how uh, far you live from them to begin with. At, uh, well, the, the, that desert part of Nigeria is uh, Yusufari, also in the northeast. But uh, the funny thing is that location is a sensitive part due to the security situation of the recent Boko Haram outbreak. So it's not really advisable for anyone to go there unless you absolutely have to. But seeing a little bit of pictures of people that went there, I decided, you know, why, why not? We tried to go there and it was highly unplanned because we didn't even leave early. So we had to stay in a city called Potoskom in Yobe State. We slept there and the next morning we said, okay, why don't we just go find out more? And it's really, it's a really unique desert uh, sand dunes, only available in Nigeria in that location. So we went and spent a couple of hours and we left before putting ourselves in danger. Has that but, been your, uh, favorite, your favorite region to photograph or do you like the more, um, the more populous my, areas? My favorite region to photograph is usually the North Central, especially during the Adobo festivals. They're really colorful uh, outfits, the riders wear, the horses. It's just so many things going on and... Uh, you want to capture everything, but time doesn't allow you to do that. So you have to concentrate on what you get and hope next time you get to tell a bigger story. What What are those festivals like? Uh, well, to be honest, they're really cultural, really traditional in itself. Most people are happy to be photographed. So you hardly get any aggressive behavior. Everyone is welcoming. And uh, the city is usually safe because there's a lot of security around. And it happens in about seven or eight states in Nigeria. So you can decide which one you want to go and view. Each one is unique in its, in its sense. But uh, the one in Kano State, 
that's where I'm presently living, is the biggest and the most glamorous of all of them. However, due to the number of people that attend, I like to go to the other ones that most people don't go to because uh, I want to experience everything. What is the name of the festival again? Okay, the Eid, Eid Dober. Eid Dober. The Eid is, yeah, the Eid Dober is celebrated at the end of Ramadan every year. Okay, okay. Yes, and uh, Ramadan is uh, probably in about uh, four days. It's starting in four days. So probably about one month, four days from now, they'll be at Doba for three days. I remember the Nigeria. One of my uh, are the are the traditions for Ramadan in Nigeria pretty much the same as the rest of the Islamic world, or yeah, it's it's pretty similar. I, I would say compared to Saudi Arabia, Dubai, Egypt, uh, Malaysia, they are similar in so many ways. The same routines, only that uh, everyone just focuses on their culture. In uh, the first podcast I did, just by chance, it was uh, another Nigerian, <laughs> but um, okay, he, awesome. was, he was Yoruba, and okay, uh, he was saying that within the Yoruba territories, a lot of the, there are a lot of Muslims and Christians, but a lot of the traditional beliefs have kind of blended with the Muslim and Christian practices. Do you find yes. that to also be the case more in the northern areas? Uh, that, that is the case. However, it's not as uh, as blended as the one in the uh, southwest, which is the Yoruba kingdom, because uh, like historically speaking, the Yorubas are more intellectually inept than uh, the houses in northern Nigeria, because they, they've accepted Western education earlier, and they seem to be more exposed. So they have this uh, idea of blending religions and cultures more than we here. Uh, I would say we are more traditional, especially when you see festivals, like you, you really notice how traditional the Northern Nigerians can be. Do you, uh, the, I guess the more tragic part of recent Nigerian history is that on paper, it seems like there's so many divisions between the Hausa, the Yoruba, the Edo, the Igbo. Exactly. You, that's that's very true. To to what extent do you feel like that has changed throughout your life? And what is, how, like how much does it actually play a role in Nigeria today? Uh, it, it does play a huge, huge and significant role. Uh, I'll give you an example. When, when I grew up, the city I grew up, like I said, in north central Nigeria is is a mix of uh, both uh, Christians, Muslims, Hausas, Yorubas, uh, Igbo. So you get you get that secularism where you understand different cultures and you get to learn to live with different people and accept their beliefs. However, in the uh, northern part, northern parts like the northeast, northwest, uh, that is not the case. Like uh, people have this okay, yeah, this person is not from here, so there is that separation of of maybe uh, ethnicity and probably religion. But like the schools I went to like were mixed. There's no difference in which class you go to. Uh, the only, uh, I think, subject that was different was uh, most of the Muslims take uh, Islamic studies while Christians take Christian studies. But for others, like you can see an Igbo person studying Hausa, a Hausa person studying Yoruba. So it's, it's something that I grew up used to. But in the Northern part, like, uh, say Kano, Kaduna in northern, northwest Nigeria, that's not the case. 
and uh, most recently like the general elections which was concluded just uh, two days ago uh, there was a division of uh, the parties of the uh, Yorubas were voting for some parties the Igbos were voting for another party so it's evident it, it, it wasn't like this in the past but uh, the division is really getting stuck and sharp I guess so you th- you feel like it's coming back a little bit more so recently? Yeah, it is. It is. It is. That's a bummer. <laughs> it's it is seriously because it's it's affecting the cohesion of the whole country as a whole. Uh, I would say uh, like the the Igbos have beautiful culture and the Yorubas as well. But due to this, it's kind of difficult for see a northerner to go document that. Or someone from, I would say, like maybe the uh, Igbo to come here and be free, and um, probably I would just blame it on the politicians. They like to play the religious card, the ethnicity card, just to rally votes. And uh, once they get those votes, it's not like things are are going to change in any significant way. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, uh, it's just so unfortunate. It just seems like it's, it's going it's, on it's, and on. It's quite unfortunate, to be honest. Um, do you feel like you, you say it's the politicians just using it? I know that the actual, like who makes the money from oil has continuously been a big issue. Is there any sign that that is going to improve at all? Or is it kind of just remaining the same? Uh, to be, to be absolutely honest, I think it's, it's going to remain the same or it's going to get worse. Because the this is the system is not designed to to work in the first place. Uh, if you check probably the statistics, Nigeria's dependence on on crude oil is is in the it is six to probably ninety percent. So, as long as there's crude oil, the government relies on it, and most of the corrupt politicians rely on it. They are not trying to expand beyond that. Like, for example, tourism. Tourism could be a huge sector in Nigeria, but it's really been ignored. A lot of people would love to come and see these cultures, but to be honest, it's not safe. I wouldn't advise some people to come to some parts of, especially northern Nigeria, due to the kidnappings, the terrorism. Like, we recently went to Niger Republic, which is, uh, which is bordering Nigeria. I've never been there, and I said, okay, uh, why don't I go see? And their culture is really beautiful. Despite similarities with Nigeria, but there are some unique things that I really appreciated. And uh, I would wish people would come and see Nigeria that same way, but the security situation will not allow that for now. What, what are the parts of Nigeria that give you hope, like that you love, that you wish that were more open to the outside? Oh, the, 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 in the northern part, I would say the northeast uh, places like Meduguri, like the desert in Biobi. It's called uh, Tulotulo Desert. It's it's really beautiful. There are so many tourist activities that could be going on there. Uh, in Kebbi State, we have the Argongu Fishing Festival. It's the biggest in Nigeria, but it, it happened once in the last four years due to security situation. So all those are places I think people need to see. We have the Calabar Carnival, which also didn't take part in the last uh, three years. There are so many beautiful places like in Nigeria to see. One of the carnivals that you posted, I guess it's not a carnival, but festivals that you posted a few times was the Kyrsale. Yes. The 
I'm, I'm sorry if I mispronounced, but the no, Tuareg you, you and Wadabe? Perfectly, yes. Okay, perfect. And uh, what... So the Tuareg and the Wadabe are still nomadic groups. How did yeah. you come about being the photographer for these events and what is that like? Okay, the the, the Chris Halley actually occurs once every year and it's a, a gathering of the Fulanis from the whole, the northern and western parts of Nigeria, of Africa, which happens in Niger Republic. It's, uh, it's I think it's defined salt cure. They use uh, the salt from the lakes to cure their skin from every disease and to celebrate the end of the harvest. It's a really beautiful carnival. I've, I've heard about it and always wanted to attend, but for the first time I decided, okay, I need needed to go, which was in Niger Republic. Like I said, it's bordering Nigeria, so transportation wasn't as difficult. However, the security situation in those regions also is on high alert. However, it's it's been safe for a, a few years, I guess. Is is that purely because of Boko Haram? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, and what was the festival itself like? Well, it's uh, it's something that lasts for about uh, almost three weeks. However, the main event is for five days, which uh, a lot of people attend. They are they were foreigners actually, and uh, like a lot of people from different parts of the world. It happens in the desert, so it's not a place with accommodations, but people sleep in their tents, and uh, there are events from morning till night. There are some from midnight till almost uh, early early morning going on so a whole lot of stuff is going on at the same time so you've mentioned Boko Haram being an issue quite a few times now yes what what is it like being around Boko Haram it's it's kind of hard to understand if you're not living right by it uh, well uh, it's it's gone down a little bit the, the security situation I would say is a little bit better however their presence is still there in the sense that uh, could you could you kind of explain how they came to be and kind of what the ideas of the group are for people that don't know as much? Okay, my my understanding of uh, Boko Haram, the literal translation in in Hausa, which is uh, Western education is prohibited. That's literally the literal uh, explanation of it. It grew, it grew to uh, sorry Western education. The, the the negative part of it is. Those that actually brought it are those that are highly educated in Western education as well. So bringing it up to a whole lot of yeah, illiterates, I'll, I'll call them. So uh, Boko Haram started in the northeast region of Meduguri, which is also bordering, bordering Chad Republic. And uh, it spread to most parts of the northeast, then to parts of the north northwest, western states of Nigeria. And... Uh, there were times that even the capital of Nigeria, which is Abuja, was was attacked by this group. And presently, it's not just uh, Boko Haram. There's also another group of uh, with another name, but uh, similar interests as well. Probably the the military have, have uh, gone ground uh, some grounds with fighting them, but not to the extent that I would say they are eliminated. Their security threat is still present. And some places, uh, one has to be really careful before visiting those places. And uh, the the great the great regret about this group is some parts of them actually went into 
kidnapping people for ransom, which which was even a, a bigger threat than the terrorist the terrorism was. So most states in the like northwest were under that influence, and uh, I would say Kaduna, Katsina, even the federal capital, which is Abuja, was under this threat for quite a long time. So uh, that's that's really the negative part of the the terrorism that has affected the country. So even the economy is suffering because of that. Uh, students can't go to some schools because they get kidnapped. So when you look at it as, as a whole, it's it's really affected so much, I, I think. Is Boko Haram pretty much... And you said there's another group as well. What was the name of the other group? Uh, the, I think they called their Islamic... Uh, I've, I've forgotten the name they call themselves, but uh, ISWAP. They, their name is ISWAP. Okay, they've, and they've are they even, pretty much, they're pretty much isolated to certain parts of the country, or are yes. you kind of always worried? They are that, isolated to the northeastern parts of the country, and uh, they've even had clashes with Boko Haram against each other and killed each other. So it's, it's uh, each, every one of them is trying to have grounds on, on their own. Similar to the story of uh, Al-Qaeda and the Taliban in Afghanistan and Pakistan. The, the influence has, has been highly negative, especially for the northeast region, where it used to be an economic hub in, the, in northern Nigeria, but now has been reduced to little activity in regards to marketing stuff. And uh, their, their reach has actually gone through most of the northern parts of Nigeria. They've affected the northwest as well, the north central and uh, now there is a new group, the ISWAP, like I said, which is uh, fighting for to gain grounds with the Boko Haram itself. Uh, there was a time the most of the West African states bordering Nigeria had a pact to actually fight together, but I don't know what happened or what progress they've made together. If you don't mind me asking, yes. how old are you? Uh, I'm 36 years old. So what... When did Boko Haram, when do you first remember Boko Haram becoming a thing? When do you first hear about them in your life? How much have things changed from then? Uh, when I first heard about them was about uh, 2008 or 2009 or so. Back then, they, they weren't seen as a huge threat because uh, Nigeria did never had a level of uh, terrorism like this. So... They weren't really taken seriously. Like they are, they, most of the threats were taken just uh, f for the award. Like even the security agencies did not rise up to the challenge until they started uh, using explosives to damage buildings or kidnap people and kill them. So as the terror increased, the security presence also increased, and a lot of places had to be either placed on curfews or or put in on no travel watch list and all that. But I would say the, the, the height of their terror was probably around the 2012 to 2014 era. Compared to that now, like they've reduced significantly. And that was the first time I remember reading in the news about the... It was a group of schoolgirls, if I'm not mistaken having yes. been abducted and ransomed as well, correct? Exactly. 
Uh, how did you like, react to that news when it happened? Because uh, it made when, international headlines. Yes, it was pretty shocking. And uh, while while the Chibok girls was the one that actually gained uh, headlines, but they've kidnapped a whole lot of other school-going uh, kids. Some were girls, some were boys. And like the total number actually goes almost a thousand or more kids that were in captivity. Some were freed, and others I prob I think are still either with them or their stories have changed significantly. But there are a lot of NGOs, you know, helping with uh, the, the psychological effect of having having been under terror, especially in that not the northeastern part of Nigeria. Which, which is uh, Meiduguri, Yobe, and uh, Adamawa states. Those states were where it was really, really evident. And what do you think could be done? I, I believe it. It has to do with a lot of a lot of engagement with with the youth. Because if if the youth are on the same level of uh, intellectual understanding and and level of education, they would not want to partake in activities such as terrorism or any negative things that affect the society. Maybe get them into photography. You can exactly you can, <laughs> you can involve them in, in so many creative fields. Um, so you've also become the photographer to pivot a little bit for a few of the emirs of different states. Yes. There yes, was Kano City. Um, I, I could get the pronunciation wrong again, but Dutsa. Yeah, Dutsi. Yes. Dutsi. And uh, kind of ha- who, what do Amirs do today? What is their position and what was it like being a photographer for them? Uh, like I would say there is, there is a, a, a slight shift or actually a major shift. In the past, the, the Amirs were a little bit more traditional and uh, not as intellectually uh, capacitated as the present ones. Most of the emirs in the north, north, north of Nigeria are, are highly educated now. Like the late emir of Dutse, by the way, he passed away last month. He, he is a professor. So uh, most of them these days really understand the landscape in, in terms of uh, Western education and how to bring about change to the, the emirates that they rule over. Uh, recently, I was in the kingdom of uh, Zaria, Zaza, which is also a significant kingdom in northern Nigeria with a lot of history. I believe if uh, you Google it, you'll get the story of Queen Amina of Zaza. So their Amir as well was a former ambassador to about three or three countries. So they, I would say they, they, there's a change coming. There's a shift in how these Emirates rule and how their subjects uh, do things compared to the older Emirs of the past whom are so traditionalist and don't want to change the culture. But now it's it's shifting a little bit, I guess. Uh, how did you, you mentioned earlier that you had studied in Malaysia. Yes. How, how common is that for someone to go from Nigeria to Southeast Asia for education? Kind of what was that experience like for you? Uh, for, I would say the, the state of the Nigerian educational system is, is actually a bit poor, especially the tertiary institutions. You have universities going on strike for probably two twice in a year, so that extends the 
the education, the educational timetable and doesn't allow people to complete their studies in time. So going out to study has always been a thing for Nigerians. Uh, countries like the United States, United Kingdom, France, Germany are the more expensive ones. And Southeast Asia and, and the Middle East is the more affordable one. So Malaysia amongst uh, others, Malaysia, China, Cyprus, those are countries, Dubai, that Nigerians like to go to study if you have the financial capacity. And when you when you studied in Malaysia, I'm assuming that you used English in school? Yes, they study, uh, their language of uh, study is English. In fact, most of the universities are British universities that just got a campus over there. What other languages do you speak? Uh, my, my mother tongue is Hausa, which is the language of northern Nigeria. But for Malaysia, I learned a little bit of Bahasa. Bahasa Malay is spoken between Malaysia and Indonesia. And which is your favorite? <laughs> uh, I would say Bahasa because, uh, funny enough, Bahasa and Hausa have a lot of words that are uh, interchanged because they've both been influenced by the Arabic. So it's, oh, that makes are, sense. Yes, there are a lot of words that when you go through all of these three, you find them meaning the same thing in all these three languages. That's kind of what I was going to ask about next because um, for, the, for the listeners that aren't as familiar, the the house of uh, of whom you come from <laughs> yes are primarily the muslim descendants of the more famous kingdoms i would say of west africa or the more famous empires such as the wali empire the yes. songhai uh which i've talked about in the exactly. history posts a little bit when you're growing up learning about your history to what extent are those empires discussed and like how much of a role do they have in the identity today? Oh, they, they do have a significant role because uh, the influence of the Arab Arab culture on especially houses and then and northern Nigeria cannot be overemphasized. You still see most of what we do is is usually copied or learned from them, and it's I think it's something that has shaped the identity of the people of northern Nigeria mostly. What would you learn in his, about history growing up? Uh, while growing up, I think the, the major focus was uh, the history of Nigeria, the history of Hausa, the history of Igbo, and the history of Yorubas. Those three, those uh, four were the major ones. However, there were some cultures that uh, are, not, are not heard of, but are really important, like the Benin the Benin uh, culture from the Edo people, uh, a lot of the idols and idol worshipping, they were very famous for which uh, I think some of their artifacts are in British museums and European museums, I guess. <laughs> I love the sound of music driving by. Yeah, yeah. It's some of the <laughs> political campaign rallies just passing by. Has that been... Uh, I guess the election just ended two days ago, so are things winding down now a bit? Yes, it is. It is. How do you feel about the elections, how they went? Uh, well, it, it's come and gone, and <laughs> there were some irregularities, but what can we say? We are glad it's over, a little bit peaceful from the last elections. It sometimes turns violent, and you can't go out for days, but I, now it's safe. Everyone can go out. Now it's safe, you said? 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's if it is. <laughs> so where would you go next if you could photograph anywhere in the world? Wow, that's a that's a big question. <laughs> the the next place I would really really love to go to photograph would be Switzerland. I understand. <laughs> the lands, the landscapes are, are wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I was about to go to uh, Karpats. I was living in Berlin right before COVID began, and I was going to go oh. to Karpats, Poland, in the Silesian Mountains, and then try to go to Switzerland. And oh. uh, COVID occurred, and I had to come back to the United States, and I haven't left since. Yes. <laughs> yes, COVID did uh, ground a lot of people, but I think more countries are opening up, so traveling is bad. Yeah, not growing up around mountains. There's nothing I want to see more than mountains. Oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that strikes me a lot in your photos is it seems that you focus on the traditional clothing that people are wearing a lot. Uh, the yes. I think the King's Guard was the one that looked probably the coolest to me. Um, okay. But what what stands out about the clothing to you? Like, what do you search for when you're choosing which photos to take uh, or to post? Most of the time, I, I try to look for the stories in, in this part, in this out, outfits. Like for the King's Guards, which are in Hausa, we call the Dogari. If you notice, uh, most of the Emirates, uh, most of the kingdoms in northern Nigeria have a similar clothing that the uh, king's guards wear. But there is a lot of uniqueness to each and every outfit for each uh, Emirate. So I'm always trying to find that unique uh, story to each.